0: Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and our co-host today is Ashley Chance. Hi, Ashley. Hey, Marcia. And our guest today is our new Virginia Artemis ambassador, Kate Onstrom. Hi, Kate.
1: Hey, guys. How are we doing?
0: Doing great. I'm really excited to talk with you and to uh, let our community of sportswomen get to know you a little bit better. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's start with our favorite question. What's in your freezer?
1: (laughs) So I love that you guys do this on, on each podcast. Um, my freezer is a little bit different. Um, currently we, we've got a little bit of pheasant left from the last hunt season, chucker quail, bobwhite, and cotornix, squirrel, venison, a bunch of roast and pretty good amount of burger left, some pork chops and chicken, duck breast that I took in two years ago that I've yet to get to, and, um, a pretty good ration of rats. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Rats.
0: yeah we're gonna Explore need to know more that. about that
1: <laughs> yeah um so my husband's a falconer um he's now passed on from apprentice to general um it's a two-year process so very excited that he he made general which means now he can sponsor up to i think two or three additional falconers And that means now I'm ready to go ahead and become a licensed falconer here in Virginia as well. So um, we'll have all of 99 falconers once I become an apprentice here in the state.
0: That's cool. That's actually, it's it's not a whole bunch, but it's actually more than I would have guessed.
1: Yeah, there's only about 3,000 across the U.S. Yeah. Um, And it's just because it is a, it's a huge lifestyle undertaking. It's not just a hobby. Um, When you're dealing with a predator bird, they want to eat. And if they don't eat and you don't keep them at the correct weight, um, I'm sure you can imagine how ornery a red tail or a peregrine or, you know, goshawk, whatever your bird is that you're flying it's not like if the dog gets hungry, they just kind of look at you, you know, uh, if a hawk or a falcon gets hungry, it's, it's, it's a little it's more. Assessing you. It's like, can it's, I eat you? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, my freezer is a little different. I have to warn the farm sitter, make sure you go into this freezer. Don't even bother to look into those two freezers. Right. Um, cause there's lots of bizarre bodies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have to interject here because I can identify 100%. And actually, my, uh, step-mom, my dad and my stepmom are coming to visit next week, and I've been thinking about playing a trick on her. It's kind of mean but funny. Our freezer right now, if you open it, has a black full-body coyote. And uh, a full frozen red fox. Both were trapped last fall, and my husband was like, "I want to save these pelts, but of course, we don't have time to deal with them." So he just shoved them in the freezer wholesale. Right. And it startles me when I go to get a package of ground sausage. I'm like, "Oh, dog face, looking at me." (laughs) (laughs) Even though I know it's there. So I've been thinking about asking when my stepmom comes. She's not a wildlife person. Um, just asking. Oh God, God, she's gonna scream. She's totally gonna (laughs) scream. I know maybe it's too mean anyway sorry (laughs) weird (laughs) things in the freezer
0: I mean is she the person that will scream and hold a grudge or will she scream and laugh because I think there are two different types of people
2: yeah (laughs) that's why I feel like it's too mean because she's so sweet but I don't
1: know (laughs) well she's a good sport about it yeah
0: (laughs) oh Ashley um (laughs) that's fantastic uh I would yeah (laughs) I
2: Sorry, like, I just derailed us. No, okay, I'm, I had another question. Though.
0: I'm just, just trying to picture myself, like, going into the freezer
2: every day and being confronted with that. <laughs> like, at what point do you, like, cross the threshold of tolerance? Yeah. When you have a small child, it's <laughs> right. amazing the things you'll accept. That's fair. It's it's just because like, you have to, for
0: sanity's sake.
2: Yeah. yeah. Also, my time in the Peace Corps really primed me to just, like, live with uh, things that aren't ideal or like the way that I want them, yep. which sometimes really irritates my husband, but comes in handy in situations like this.
0: Adaptability is a good good skill. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you were going to say,
2: I was going to say, Kate talking about falconry. Um, I know like the bare minimum, I do have some knowledge about just like raptor ecology. Um, and I feel like when you take on a bird like that it's never actually domesticated right like you're always just kind of coexisting with it and trying to influence it in its regular life
1: yeah so there's there's two ways you can acquire a bird um you can go out and trap a bird which is what i will be doing this fall during the migration um that bird will forever be considered a wild bird while it is in my care um, the benefit of that is that I'm, I'm not sure the numbers on Merlin's, the numbers are much better than on red tails and of course, Peregrine, but, um, red tails, for example, my husband flew two red tails over the past two years and we caught them as juveniles. The entire population of red tails, um, only 30% will survive through the first malt to actually earn their red tail. Wow. Um, of that 30%, only half will actually make it to the age of five. Um, mm. They're very susceptible to aspergillosis, to coccidiosis, to, um, you know, uh, Mike has a buddy who's a falconer and he caught a red tail and it had a bumble foot because of a squirrel bite on a toe, mm. um, which doesn't seem like too big a deal, but it can be very infectious and, and cause problems and, and kill the bird ultimately if it's not treated. So I, I wish that there were more people that were interested in the sport of falconry. It's another way for us to bird hunt um, and hunt in general. And it's, I find very cathartic just to be able to walk and move with the bird. Um, but you're, you're pretty much a bird in your care. Um, especially because you're trapping it as a juvenile, you just give it such a better chance at being able to make it longer and be a healthier bird in general. Um, the other way you can get a bird is you can buy one. Um, you know, you're not going to find that at the Facebook marketplace or <laughs> totally on, uh, okay. or, you know, on Craigslist. Um, there's a select group of propagators, breeders throughout the country. Um, Mike actually has a goshawk baby that has been in order for about six months, unfortunately, even in captivity, um, it's very difficult. They had a incubator failure. Um, They had a a power surge that knocked the power out to the farm in Idaho where the birds were being propagated, Um, lost the incubator, had some eggs underneath a female Unfortunately, it's been so humid and wet out there that none of the the eggs were viable. Um, so I think he's opting to actually purchase a an adult male goshawk. Um, but the bird's been in propagation, so he's he's a tame bird. But Mike has to kind of bring him back into the folds, so to speak. So there's there's two ways you can get a bird. Um, but um, you know, as an apprentice, I have only the option of a few select birds—a redtail, a merlin, a kestrel. I'm um, like maybe a Cooper's hawk, uh, just just a small handful of birds, and I can have one.
2: Um,
1: and that's because one's going to be all I can handle. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, and then after, like, if you fly it for a couple years, then you release it into the wild again. Yeah, so actually with most falconers, they fly it for the hunt season and release it
1: after they bring the weight up. Um, Mm -hmm. Here in Virginia, our hunt season pretty much starts the beginning of October and ends. um, For most everything, we would use a hawk or a falcon for. It's going to finish out the end of February. Um, So we would basically fatten the bird up to get it ready for molt and take it somewhere safe out in the wild and release it. Um, I can tell you because Merlins are a more difficult bird to trap, I will not be releasing my bird. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, it's a little more in depth and in, um, involved to catch a falcon versus a hawk. Um, so I don't foresee me wanting to camp for several days out in the Eastern shore again.
0: (laughs) What is, what about that? Why do you want that bird?
1: Um, I want that bird specifically because it's a falcon. So, falcons actually live inside the house with you um, Mm -hmm. because they, uh, not to be gross, but, you know, um, when they poop, they do what's called mute instead of slice. So, when they poop, it just goes straight down like a chicken Mm -hmm. Um, versus a hawk slices. So, I mean, they will paint your wall for you. So, (gasps) (laughs) they, they live out in their... Their domicile, what we call a mew. Um, but the falcon, I can just have a, a special little contraption that I'll make um, and put a perch inside up on the wall. We live inside a, a big cabin with this 10 by 10 um, timbers, dovetail construction. So it's easy. I can just pound in a perch
2: yeah.
1: in the wall, um, put a pan underneath it, and the bird can just chill on, you know, tethered to the perch. Um, cool. But it's a very, very loyal bird. It's known as a lady's ladies hawk, basically, Mm -hmm. um, a ladies Falcon, because as long as I keep the bird happy, Mm -hmm. um, it'll stay with me forever. A lot of people actually, um, cut the bird out once a week just to let it hack out and go fly and do its thing. And it'll come back at the end of the day because it it wants to roost with you.
2: This feels very, um, adult Harry Potter to me. (laughs) <laughs> it, yeah, I I know. <laughs> Which I love cuz I was obsessed with all things Harry Potter for my childhood, but
1: it's cool. their their personality is also um very kind. You know, for for being a falcon, um Mike's goshawk, I'm a little um, a little nervous about handling that bird because that's a bird that um, I mean, quite frankly, it just wants to go and kill. It will. You can take it out. Duck, goose, pheasant, chucker. Oh wow! You, you can go out and you. It's a utility bird. You can hunt rabbits and squirrels, um, but it is a bird with an attitude. So or you'd
0: have to be to take on a goose.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid, exactly. Nervous to have my dog retrieve a goose. Yeah, so I I want a Merlin because it's a it's a nicer bird. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah,
0: I learned a lot about. Birds and how they poop. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> it, yeah, and the special you'll, words you'll, too.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll be watching birds and being, you know, oh, is that bird muting or slicing?
0: <laughs> and I like how it's 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 um just disc- it's so descriptive. Like a slice is not neat. You can just tell by the word.
1: <laughs> it's not. Yeah, you you've got to clean the muse out once a week, and it's yeah, it's messy. <laughs> that's
2: awesome. So, Lately, I've been showing Charlie a lot of things outside and like naming animals and stuff. And I walked over by the side of our driveway. There's some woods the other day and I saw just white stuff everywhere across the leaves and the vegetation. I was like, what roosted here? Like, Mm -hmm. what is this? And I'm looking up into the trees. I'm like, we better be careful. We don't get pooped on, you know, looking up here.
1: Yeah. And then
2: I don't see anything. And then it dawns on me. We're doing a house for renovations and my husband dumped a bunch of joint compound out there. <laughs> oh <laughs> no kidding, what?
1: Well, that's yeah. a big bummer. <laughs> I was getting excited for it. I, I like, have oh, got woodcock. You've got woodcock wash everywhere.
2: <laughs> I thought it was gonna be something cool and it was not. But, joint uh, compound. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. mystery solved if unsatisfactorily.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, I just I thought that Falconry, um it, you know, it's one of those things where for, for your listeners out there that are partnered up, married, whatever, um, living with someone when, when your partner or a significant other takes on a hobby, very, very few times. Is it just yeah. them involved? Um, especially, you know, if he's running late and the bird needs to get put away or he's, um, got to go into work early and the bird has yet to be fed. I mean, so yeah, that, and I just thought, um, you know, I own a shooting business primarily for wing shooting and birds. So how cool is that to be able to go out and hunt birds with birds?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So,
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, I was just thinking when you mentioned that you were getting into falconry, like, cause you have a podcast called winged wisdom and I just feel like you're trying to encompass every dimension that that could possibly (laughs) entail, which is fabulous.
1: Yeah. Um, that, that just kind of happened. Um, you know, I actually have a podcast interview with Mike, my husband. Um, I think it's like episode three or four. Um, where I interview him about him and his falconry and kind of why he wanted to get into it and what his hopes and dreams are and that path that he's taking with the birds. And, um, you know, it's just, just kind of interesting because you, you will seriously walk the world. And if you meet one falconer one time, that's probably a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us more about Virginia shooting sports and winged wisdom?
1: Yeah. So Virginia shooting sports, um, I have been in the sporting clay and wing shooting industry for a little over 10 years now. And I had the opportunity in the spring of 2017 to see, um, to, to go and become certified in a specific school, Paragon School of Sporting. And I selected that school out of NSCA and Move, Mount, Shoot and a lot of other schools because that one in particular really centered on the shooter's ability to self-diagnose. And that was something that was personally super important to me because the gentleman who I had been mentoring under at the time that I went and became certified, one of the biggest complaints from his clients and students was, God, you know, I, I do really great when so-and-so is standing behind me, but man, I cannot hit anything unless he's standing behind my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, props to him. That's really cool that he can do that for them while they're in front of him. But unless they're going to pay to drag him around the world on their hunts or their competitions, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I started my own school. Um, actually, we are celebrating this September, my five-year anniversary.
0: Happy um, anniversary.
1: Yay! Yeah. So my, my assistant, Riley, and I are super excited. Um, we're starting to make invitations and put together the planning and all that good stuff for the party. Um, but Virginia Shooting Sports, my, my mission is very simple. Dedicated to diversifying the dynamics of the hunt field and the clay course, I I have been unfortunately on the other end of guys um, and just kind of looking past me to my husband. Um, hey, you know what? What are you doing out here? What are you What are you shooting today? And he cuts them off quickly and just points to me and goes, "I don't know. She's hmm. the shooter, not me. Ask her." I just, I'm carrying the guns, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm equipment, I'm logistics. He's your caddy. He's your caddy. And, you know, because that seemed to be a recurring theme with a lot of my female students, I was like, this, this just can't keep going on. Um, and I was trying to figure out why there weren't more women in the sport, why there were not more, um, I guess it's just ethnicities. I mean, it's just a bunch of grumpy old white guys. (laughs) And I, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of students that are those grumpy old white guys and they'll tell you, I don't know. It's just a bunch of us sitting around smoking cigars and leather chairs and drinking bourbon. It's what it's always been, but you know, we know that's not right. And we got to figure out how to fix it. And that's like, well, gosh, darn it. Let's do that. Let's fix it. Mm -hmm. So that's how Virginia shooting sports came about. Um, and I can proudly say that I've got women and youth, uh, 10 years up into, I've got one student who's 87. Um, I I know it makes me feel so bad. It's, it's an older gentleman and he's, he's like, Oh, well, you know, you go ahead on the golf cart, Kate. I'll just walk behind you. I'm like, really? (laughs) It's like,
2: man, you make me feel so bad.
1: That's fantastic. Something to
2: strive for though.
1: Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, at 87 shooting a full round of 100. I mean, Oof. that's incredible. What is he was, shooting? It's what? just competition. Okay. I mean, he just come he used to hunt, used to have bird dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, just wants to come out every now and then, gets a lesson yeah. for me probably like every quarter just to tune up. Like maybe he's having difficulty with long crossers softly falling at distance or um, maybe there's a hot, fast bird, um, coming in at a tight angle that he just can't quite get sorted. So he'll come to me and say, Hey, how do I, how do I deal with this? Um, I'll get them all sorted and I'll see him in another, you know, three, four, five, six months or something. Um, that. but he's just, he just, it's his way. He's a widower. It's his way of being able to stay outdoors and stay busy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have transgender students. I have Students who are everything from, you know, Egyptian, um, Latino. I mean, I love the fact that there are so many different faces out on the course now. And I like to feel like my school in particular is a safe place for them to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. And that's that's been the big mission. So that's in a nutshell, kind of kind of what I'm here to do and keep doing it as long as I can. Um, and then Winged Wisdom, my podcast, um, I love my my assistant. For anybody listening, if you want to get stuff done, <sighs> hire someone in college. <laughs> Riley actually started as my intern her senior year in high school as a high school project. Um, and then her freshman year, she was finished up her freshman year in college at James Madison. And I reached out to her and I was like, hey, summer's coming. Are you coming home? Cause I should, I should really, I need your help. Like, can you please help? (laughs) I need an extra set of hands. She's like, Oh, Miss Kate, I would love to come work for you. Um, So now she's a rising junior and she's fantastic. She's the one that was kind of like, you know, you need to up your social media game. (sighs)
0: So
1: she got me into podcasting. She got me to understand why I need to post stories and posts. (laughs) Um, you know she's she's been really great help helping keep me organized Um, and she's a shooter herself she grew up in the 4-H world um, from the age of nine shooting as a 4-H national ambassador Virginia state ambassador she's actually um, going this weekend to tap her sister Lauren and her four, h shooting coach miles. She's, she's actually going to be able to tap them in, which is, um, I, I would kind of compare it to like Eagle scouts, like the highest level that you can receive in four H. Okay.
0: cool. So
1: yeah, but that, that's, that's kind of what Virginia shooting sports and winged wisdom is all about. Just getting the word out that, Hey, as long as you can stay safe, take instruction and want to get outside, come see me. Mm-hmm. I'd love to teach you something.
0: How did, okay. I have, I have a lot of questions. How did you get started?
1: (laughs) So I always joke and I tell everybody, oh, well, I was a flight attendant for Continental for about 10 years. So it was a very natural progression in careers, (laughs) you know, and it's just, you know, me being coy and funny, but, um, everything happens for a reason. I met my husband, um, 16 years ago. And when we met, I mean, I, I, so, a little bit of background on me. I grew up on a 400-acre farm. Um, I mean, we we were literally just dirt poor. If we grew it, we had it to eat. We had, like, 250 had a hog. We had a couple hundred chickens. We were truck farmers and commercial fishermen. Um, so, that's what I knew. I mean, I knew to be outdoors because the house didn't have air conditioning or heat. It was an old, you know, 100-some-year-old farmhouse. So, why would you want to be indoors anyway? Um, but... I didn't really do any hunting. I did fishing um, just because dad was a commercial fisherman. So that was pretty natural for him to always take us fishing. But when it came to hunting, it was just my two younger brothers, Willie and Jake, they would go hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't until I got with Mike, my now husband, and he was a big hunter from upstate New York in the Catskills. And he's like, uh, you know, so I love bow hunting. So this is what I'm going to do. So you're welcome to join me, but if you want to find me anytime in October, (laughs) like you're going to have to sit in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, sure, whatever, let's do this. So he bought me my first bow, just a used 4-H bow from my local sporting goods store. And, um, I never looked back. I, I got into bow hunting. Then I got a better bow Then I got into um, sporting clays and, you know, that again, that was just a happenstance kind of situation. I've been big into horses for 40 years of my life um, and was breeding and training perch runs uh, for a a local breeder and the young lady that kind of just fed and cleaned stalls and, you know, just operations management type of deal. Said, you know, Kate, I've I've got this part-time job at this clay course. Um, it's like 10 minutes down the road, but you know, my son's getting older and I'd really rather spend time with him. And I just don't need that extra little job. It's fun. Do you want it? And I'm like, yeah, what the heck are clays? (laughs) What what is sporting? What? And um, so Becca took me over there and introduced me to the gentleman that was running the sporting clays course. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. People do this. Why did I not know about this? This is so much better than just shooting a stupid piece of metal or paper um because I'd always had a you know rifle or pistol, but it you know, I wasn't big into hunting. i good marksman, um you know, kind of just had pistol because i I could. I mean, I didn't really ever do anything with it, didn't compete or you know pursue anything with it. Um but when the sporting clays were introduced, it was, I mean, that was a huge catalyst into the next chapter of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it I spent six years under the tutelage of this this one gentleman, the sporting clay course, just kind of learning all the ins and outs of the business. Um, and then when I went off and became certified is when it really just hit a whole nother level and I just I could not eat, breathe, and just sleep enough about clays and wing shooting.
2: Um,
1: And Mike and I kind of joke that, because they'll come into the cabin and they'll look at the wall and, you know, we've got a bunch of whitetail and mule deer. We've got the red stag over the fireplace. um, And they look at both of us and like, you guys like to hunt a little bit, don't you? I'm like, actually, (laughs) those are all his. My stuff is in my office and I like the wee and the winged and he likes all the big big horns, horns. So... We can be married forever because of that.
2: <laughs> you know, no... we in the winged. That's that's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, my biggest, most proudest achievement is my red fox um, that I took with my bow. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that's probably one of my biggest pride and joys. And I I just love being able to get out into the hunt field, um, watch the dogs work. You know, the birds. It's so social. Um, I kind of call wing shooting the gateway drug to hunting. I have, I have some students who kind of come to it fairly hesitant and not too sure about taking the life of an animal. Um, you know, I had one woman who for two years was taking instruction from me. Nope, Kate, I'm good. Only shooting clay pigeons. Nothing feathered. And then she came and signed up for a hunt. And I remember seeing her name in my my booking system on the website going, no way. <laughs> and I called her up and I was like, you sure you want to do this? She goes, I've got to give it a chance. So yes, I'm good. It's with you. I know I'm safe. I know we'll have a good time. So let's do it. So I take out four guns on a hunt and she shot her first bird in her head nearly whipped off she spun her head around so fast looking at me with a huge Mm. smile I was like okay so we're good (laughs) (laughs) and that's what I love to see I love to see people get out there and try it and a lot of times it leads to other endeavors and hunting um and and fishing just kind of shows them a different way to be outdoors
0: when it, it like looking back at the um older client that you mentioned you had who comes to you and he's like um uh this is the next thing I want to work on I feel like hunting is a lot of that too it's like okay this is the next thing I want to learn um I've been doing this for a while I feel like I've got a hold of it this is the next thing I want to learn and so it just kind of um yeah one thing leads to another
1: it does and you go through phases um you know I was really big into and I still love shooting my bow um But it's not what gets me out of bed in the morning, but, you know, I have certain days where, you know, especially in the fall, that weather's just right. The smell of the leaves is just right. Like, oh, I've got to grab my bow and get into a stand today. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you kind of go through phases where certain things mean more to you to get outside than others. Mm -hmm. I feel like wing shooting will probably always be the dominant force in my getting outside to hunt. Um it's like, you know, I I just recently purchased a kayak because I need another hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has become, you know, kind of the the hot thing for the moment. Um, getting out on the water is just another way to be able to enjoy it's just it's neat the way that life kind of unfolds in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you see people doing different things around you once you get outdoors and you start meeting people. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I like to go kayaking because I can get into those fishing holes that nobody else can get to. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. I got to go buy a kayak. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just neat the way it unfolds.
0: Yeah. When I... uh I mean, I think it's obvious through our conversation, um, the fact that you went from learning how to shoot to owning your own instruction facility, how passionate you are about it. Uh, But you and I met at an Upland hunt camp here in Montana where you instructed.
2: uh, Yeah, the Grouse
0: Camp. Yeah. And you are an incredible instructor.
1: Oh, well, thank you. You're making me blush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and that's that was as reported from um, several of the attendees at that event. Uh, nice. Can you talk about your instructing and um, how you go about it a little bit?
1: Kind of like style and, and that good yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah, style and approach and um, what you like about it.
1: So, I have, for whatever reason, I have always been, you know, I'm a stronger type A personality as my husband will remind me, <laughs> um, but I've always been in instruction in some form or fashion. Um, when I was in high school, my girlfriend, Audra, said that we needed to do an extracurricular activity or something like that. And she came up with joining the local volunteer fire department. I was like, What? I was like, whatever. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, most random stuff that has been through my life. Um, So we did. And I found myself becoming certified as, um, you know, like rope rescued this and, you know, all this different stuff. And I found myself kind of getting into instruction side. Um, Before that, you know, with horses, I'd always done little lessons and that carried through college and. Um, when I was a flight attendant, I found myself always flying lead flight attendant. So it was always an instructional type of role. Um, so instruction for me has always kind of been second nature. I love to find out about a topic. Um, I love being able to have someone in front of me and figure out what I can do to help them learn. Um, When I get a student in front of me, um, case in point, I've got this young lady that's just come to me for her second lesson, um, Jaden, and she is 16. Kid has a ton of raw, natural ability, um, but just needs to learn the fundamentals so she can, you know, as I say, use those powers for good. And understand what the the clays are doing in front of her. She wants to shoot competitive. So it's a matter of figuring out that person in front of you. How do they learn? Um, I always ask people, you know, what do you do? You know, if you don't mind me asking, what do you, what do you do in the world? Or like Jaden, you know, what's your favorite subject in school? If they answer me with something along the world of arts or You know literature, things like that, then I know that I have a more abstract thinker. I've got someone who will be able to to latch on quicker to some of the concepts that I'm going to put in front of them. If I have someone who's an engineer, I kind of jokingly look at them and say, so I'm going to charge you double for your lesson today (laughs) Um, because the entire time with me, you're going to demand a schematic in the sky and I ain't giving it to you. (laughs) Right. You know, just very analytical thinker, um, very black and white. So it's fun to be able to figure out who is in front of you, how do they learn, and how can I best put forth the information so they can absorb it the easiest and quickest for success. Um, I do a lot of things. i don't I don't know if you saw me out there at the Grouse Camp marsha, but i'll I'll take a clay pigeon. If someone's having difficulty understanding that the bead on the gun does serve a purpose, but never when the gun is on your shoulder and you're moving it, I will put that clay at the end of their barrel. Of course, you know, gun on safe, unloaded the whole nine yards. And I'll tell them to stare at the clay. And then I'll ask them to stare at the end of the barrel and ask them if they can still clearly see the clay and they're like, oh God, no. I'm like, okay, Good will you stop staring at the bead now? (laughs) (laughs) And that usually kind of helps them understand the concept that I'm trying to get across. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to use, you know, some visual visuals like that. Um, I just try to make it very easy and repeatable. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, I'm not, not dealing in black magic. I've got no super secret, methods that I'm using to help you hit the birds it's just flat out you know what is the bird doing at your break point how you know how do you need to deal with the bird at that break point can you shoot right at it do you need to lead it um, you know little things like that to make it easy for them to remember okay so when I have this bird in front of me without Kate here I still feel confident enough to to break it down and figure it out. And that's, that's my end goal
2: right. is to okay. make sure
1: they understand.
2: I have a, I have an ask of you, Kate. Sure. <laughs> so as you're talking about this, I've, I've been shooting shotguns for, I don't know how many years since high school, uh-huh. um, and hunting with them. I don't take a lot of enjoyment in just shooting for the sake of shooting, but, um, I love bird hunting. So anyway, as you're talking through this, you're saying things I'm like, this is blowing my mind. And you are such a skilled instructor. I can tell just from talking to you. We don't even have our video on for listeners. I'm hearing her the same as you all are hearing her. <laughs> can you please tell us three things that you would share with new or maybe even seasoned shooters or hunters um, that they're doing wrong that they should change or that they should be thinking about?
1: Yeah. Um stop looking at the gun stop moving your muzzle so much and um, know what the bird is doing in front of you. I mean, that's the three biggest things. And what I mean by that, Ashley, is um, people, and this kind of goes back to, are you an abstract artistic thinker or are you an analytical thinker? The more analytical thinkers are going to try really hard to make sure that muzzle is right onto the bird, but a lot of people don't realize that one inch of movement with two foot of steel at the end of your nose equates to an eight foot swing out at 30 yards. So there's, there's literally no bird, not even a, a rock pigeon, 80 miles an hour that can outrun you. Now the bird can totally best you because it catches you off guard. You didn't have your, your gun at low ready Um, You know, you saw your dog getting birdie. You weren't particularly paying attention. I mean, there's all little variables that can come into it. My job is to teach you how to basically cut the fat out of your swing and make make that swing mean something instead of just kind of flailing across the sky. So when that bird flushes, I tell people all the time, that gun is an extension of your arm and your eye. So make sure you have the muzzle in your line of sight up in the air. One keeps the dog super safe because if the muzzle up is up, it's, it's not headed towards the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody else that may be with you in that field or in the woods and two birds tend to fly up. <laughs> so you're going to have a really good chance that as your muzzle is sitting just in your line of sight, all you need to do is softly push and mount the gun, cheek first, shoulder second, bird at the end of the barrel, and do what you have to do. Um, it's just a matter of controlling controlling that muzzle and having the gun fitted to you. Um, I cannot stress how important gun fit is. Um, Churchill created this whole, Churchill shooting method because he realized a very well fitted gun goes exactly where it needs to. Your eye is exactly where it needs to, centered down the middle of the rib, not too low, not too high. The gun isn't biting or pinching or slapping or kicking you so that you're developing a flinch at the trigger pull. Um, it's it's seated neatly into the pocket, not out on the shoulder bone. And it comes up quickly and you don't think about it. Um, So that's the biggest thing is take your gun, get it fitted. Um, Any, any gunsmith worth their salt can fit your gun. Any good professional instructor can fit your gun to you. Um, And then pattern it. I have a great story about Tundra Swan and I didn't have my gun that I wanted to use. I managed to break her a week before the hunt. Mm. I was using a gun that, for whatever reason, I did not heed any of my own advice. (laughs) I did not even shoot the gun on Clay's before the hunt, um, which was, you know, fairly, fairly horrible in um, my own um, stupidity for not doing so, just so I knew what the gun felt like. And Worst of all, I didn't bother to pattern the load through the gun that I was going to use for the swan. So, as the swan goes flying off after giving me the most beautiful presentation, I am just standing there going, Oh my God. I just literally, and I mean myself, my husband, the guide, I'm standing there with my mouth open, just about to break down in tears because this big, beautiful bird, it was a big, really nice swan, of course. Um, and my husband and the guide are just staring at me like, "Who the heck are you? You mm-hmm. teach this stuff?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but um, yeah, so get your gun fitted, pattern the shot you're gonna use, and make sure everything likes it.
0: <laughs> so I have a question. Uh, I'm not. I I, ha- I don't have much experience um, shooting, and part of it is because I am. Not sure how to handle being right-hand, left-eye dominant. What oh, super easy. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So and
1: that's because you're a multitasker. Um, <laughs> you are seriously, anybody who's it's cross-dominant, majority of women are cross-dominant. And it's because we're multitaskers. Too. Yeah. We're multitaskers. Not me. I'm a righty-righty <laughs> righty through and through. And Mike will tell you, I want to be a multitasker. And I have 17 projects going at once none of them anywhere near completion. Um, whereas, you know, you girls, you you probably have multiple things going on and you're just checking off boxes left and right. And I'm just kind of spinning <laughs> wheels. Um, but when you have that situation, you have a choice. And when I have a student in front of me and I do a fairly in-depth eye dominance test um, that I can see which eye is dominant and... If there's interference from the subdominant eye, and if so, how much? Because that's very important for particular presentations.
2: Hmm.
1: I give them the choice. Are you trying to go to the Olympics? Are you trying to hustle money on the ski field as a career? You know, if the answer is no to those two questions, then who cares? Shoot off the right side, shut your left eye but if you are trying to achieve that that greater level of competitive shooting if you're trying to get to that that type of competition then you need to shoot under your dominant eye you need to have both eyes open ideally you should be shooting everything rifle pistol archery shotgun two eyed america where the for, i don't know too many movies <laughs> you know, too many bad um, cop shows where we show somebody with a firearm or something and they're shutting an eye. Um, if you're shooting both eyes open and you have your firearm, or whatever it is on your dominant eye, there is zero reason to to shut down an eye. Um, there's a few exceptions. And when you get out, you know, at extreme distances, then you just by default need to to help one eye be able to see something because you're at such a distance. But I'm talking, you know, shooting rifle, you know, seven, eight hundred yards, something like that. Um, and then your own personal eye conditions kind of kick in there. If you have astigmatisms, if you know, you've got some some older eyeballs. You know, my I, my poor eyes get older by the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but just shoot. Shoot off the right side if you are not comfortable switching to the left. I just tell you, start with two eyes open. As soon as you acquire your target, whether it's clay or feathered, um, then softly just shut down and you don't need to squish it hard. Mm -hmm. You're just occluding that left eye to allow the right eye to become the dominant eye. Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of artificially creating an eye dominance in your off eye. And you'll be able to put it together, no problem. But, you know, if again, if you really want to be a serious competitive shooter, you you should embrace
2: your self-pawness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ashley, how do you handle
1: it?
2: Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm loving this conversation because I just went out and shot my bow for the first time yesterday for this season. And I was taught and learned and in a culture of two eyes open always – Yeah. And so I've always strived for that. But yeah, I'm left eye right hand dominant. So I find myself doing what you're describing, Kate, is forcing that right eye dominance by shutting my left eye. I kind of do that on instinct and I've always felt bad about it. Like I'm Oh no, don't embrace it. It's fine. Doing something I shouldn't. But yeah, this is I appreciate the way that you described that. Like just that I'm in control of changing my dominance rather than, you know, doing something that's quote unquote wrong.
1: It's so are you actually, are you able to cleanly take whatever game you're going after? (laughs) Uh, Situational. That's what I would say. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, I mean, if you, if, if you were doing something, you know, shutting down the left eye and it's making you more comfortable, more confident, more competent, then where's the harm? Yeah, You know, versus going out there and leaving that left eye open and having, you know, in your head, you think you're set up perfectly for a shot and in actuality, you're five feet off to the other side of your target because your, your brain is like, wait, what are we doing?
2: Yeah. No, I, I also appreciate this conversation so much because I feel like I struggled initially my first years of shooting a shotgun and hunting with one, um birds. It was a terrible fit. It was way too long for me. It it was really bad. And I was able to struggle through it to, you know, shoot enough things to keep me wanting to come back. But I made some terrible shots, missed a lot of birds. And I didn't know why, you know, and everybody around me is telling me whatever they think the issue is. Of course, none of them latched onto the fact that I was shooting the wrong gun. Um, so a lot of my, a lot of, (laughs) <laughs> it was, it was, there some heartbreaking experiences uh, and that laid the foundation for me to have a lot of, maybe I would call them bad habits or just like yeah. the way that, you know, I was always trying to make up for my self-imposed handicap that I didn't know about. And so even today when I have a gun that I'm in love with, that fits me perfectly, I still find myself with those carryovers. And now that I'm shooting my bow and trying to get really good at that, I'm reading this amazing book called, I don't remember, I'll link to it in the show notes, but (laughs) it's an archery instructor. And he has, you know, goes into everything about how you should be stacking your bones so that you're not using your muscles because that introduces the opportunity for fatigue and just more uncertainty in every shot. And Kate, I'm sure you're on all of this but it's it's very different than the culture that I started shooting in, which was turn your bow up as high as you can get it because you need to <laughs> punch a hole through something at, oh. at yards. and yeah, um it's it's just it's a complete mental shift. And there's just so much I, I don't know what I don't know. I'm just starting to realize how much information is out there. And so. I don't know, this conversation has got me thinking, I need to go take a lesson from somebody, um, both with my bow and my shotgun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, so I never want to tell somebody don't, um, but I do try and help them head down the best path possible. And I can speak from experience. If you can find someone, and there's not a lot of us, um, but if you can find someone who's a paragon instructor they're going to do what I do they're going to teach the way I teach now there's there's plenty of other instructors out there that have realized that were you know maybe NSCA or some other school and they have thank goodness realized that they have needed to amend some of the ways that they did stuff to bring in um a, a little bit better way of instruction um and they're out there. I mean, you know, one of the great ones, Anthony Matarese um, at M&M Sporting and, um, in the Northeast, he's phenomenal. And he teaches in a, a similar style. You know, I've, I've run across a couple of guys and girls who are predominantly in STA but have also figured out that just standing behind someone saying, well, you know, I shoot 12 gauge. So you should be able to hold up this 12 gauge and, you know, you're ahead of the bird, so you should know how to fix it. Just don't be ahead of the bird. Well, there's a lot more involved. You know, there's a reason that you're ahead of the bird. Maybe it's an eye issue. Maybe it's a gun fit issue. Maybe it's just flat out. You don't understand what in the world you're supposed to be doing with the bird at the breakpoint because nobody's told you X, Y, Z. Um, so find someone that you like. If you have someone that, you know, you're kind of, I watch my student's shoulders, especially on novice shooter, shooters. If I'm starting to see that muscle quiver, I'm giving them more breaks, you know, I always keep bottled water and, you know, energy drinks and stuff like that on the golf cart. And you know, I'm like, Hey, let's, let's go have a water break and let's chat about what's going on and, you know, go over some of the questions that you have get the gun out of their hands. So if you have someone who's kind of more drill sergeant and you don't like that, then just find somebody else. Just know that there's, there's different styles out there. Find the style that you like that fits your way of learning.
0: You mentioned um, Paragon Instructors. Is there like a website where everybody's listed so you can find one near you or do they have a special credential that people should look for?
1: Yeah. If you go to um, ParagonSchool.com um, and then just go to Paragon Certified Instructors, it will give you a list. Yeah. Okay. Got cool. got everybody in there. Yep. Awesome. We're going to
0: take a quick break uh, to hear a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. In South Dakota, hunting is our shared legacy, something everyone can be a part of. That's why we're focused on making our fields a welcome place for everyone. See how at HuntTheGreatestSD.com, where you can hear stories from sportswomen and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. While you're there, check out public land maps, hunting blogs, and season information for one unforgettable fall. Learn more at HuntTheGreatestSD.com. For 125 years, Rio has made shot shells for hunting, sport, and defense using their own premium components. Top shooters like three-gunner Rihanna Kadic, champion clay shooter Tina Jewell, and outdoors woman Taylor Garcia trust Rio to give them the edge on the range and in the field. A full line of target loads like Star Team Evo, hunting cartridges like the popular Texas game load, plus an array of buck and slugs. Now Rio is proud to introduce their pro eco biodegradable wad to help keep plastics out of the environment. Visit Rioammo.com for a complete line of 12 and sub gauge products for your favorite game. That's R I O A M M O.com. Okay, welcome back, Kate. I really enjoyed this conversation, uh, and I want to as we transition. Um, to hits and misses, I want to check in and see is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet
1: no this I've, I have just loved the opportunity to be able to to chat with you um, you and Ashley about what I love to do and why I love to do it. Um, and i I
0: enjoy talking to people about what they're passionate about because that comes through so clearly and and throughout this conversation, I think the way it just the thought that you've put into um, to shooting and to teaching uh, is just so evident, um, and I, as an educator myself, love that your first question is, um, "What do you do?" Uh, because it does give so much insight into how people approach the world and and um, uh, and potentially what how they
1: learn. So that's yeah. so cool. And, I love that. Yeah, I mean that's. You're you're not going to select a career that you absolutely hate. Right. Um, and if you do, I mean that when I asked that question, that certainly comes across. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what would you rather do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but it tells you a lot about who you have in front of you. Yeah. Um, and it also kind of opens up the conversation. I want people to be comfortable. I want people to understand that, you know, yes, they're they're there and they're paying me to teach them how to learn a particular skill set. Um, but I feel like it's so much more than that. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel like it's a safe environment and that, um, there's other opportunities with my company down the road, should they want to take advantage of attending one of our great events coming out on a hunt, um, whatever it might be. And I think, too,
0: it allows the opportunity for people to bring their whole selves into the situation, right? I think so often when you're trying to learn something new, you figure that you need to fit yourself into the pre-designed mold, Um, but your approach allows them to approach it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You fit it to yourself rather than fitting yourself to it. Yes. Um, And I think approaching it from the direction that you do uh, probably makes that a little bit more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley, do you have any final burning questions
2: for Kate? Can I come to Virginia and take a lesson from you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I, you know, I kind of joke, have guns, will travel. Um, (laughs) I've, you know, I'm pro staff for Siren and I just got back from Minneapolis, um, was up there at an event for a, a shoot for a cure for a saint to support saint jude's um i've done um you know the grouse camp out in montana there with um courtney's bird dog babe and um a couple other things throughout the country so you know if somebody wants me to come out to the club that they normally go to i've would love to be able, you know, my, my flight attendant side does really miss <laughs> the travel. So I love being able to get out and travel. And then I also have people come in from all over the place here to Virginia. I've got, um, two courses, um, just depends whether you're East of Richmond or, or West of Richmond. Um, and I, you know, heck I've put people up here at the farm and the, the extra guest room and stuff that wanted to, to come in and take a lesson and, um, or go on a hunt with me. So absolutely. I'll, I'll come to you or you come to me. We'll work it out. Where come can forward. we
0: find you? if people want to oh, look you
1: up. Yeah. So you can find, find me, um, Virginia shooting You can either spell Virginia out or VA Um, we're on the Insta and the Facebook, uh, Facebook is spelled out Virginia shooting sports. And the Instagram handle is at VA shooting sports. Um, Winged wisdom is on the website. Um, Riley, makes sure that we drop a new episode usually every Monday. Um, I think our newest episode has Darren Strickland, who's operations manager for little George rod and gun and runs Vichlas and had a neat conversation with him and their operations. So um. again, just, just look up Virginia shooting sports. I should pop right on up. Very cool.
0: Um, and I can't wait to organize an Artemis ambassador retreat and just know that shooting is going to be a part of it. Yep. <laughs> Yay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's head to our closer hits and misses. What have you been aiming for lately and how did it go? Ashley, kick us off.
2: I mean, my hit is definitely that I got out and shot my bow. I've been meaning to do that for quite some time now. And I feel like June is far enough before really the beginning of October that I'm still, I'm okay. Um, so that was a hit, a miss. Gosh, I shouldn't have to think very long about this. (laughs) There's been a number of them. I mean, my first round of arrows at the target was, uh, (laughs) had some room for improvement but by my final round I was getting a much tighter grouping I felt a lot better about that so yeah I guess the same hit and miss out there all-encompassing
0: perfect Kate what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go
1: um well I have a huge hit I have finally convinced Mike that bird dogs are better in big numbers um (laughs) so (laughs) he's He's mistakenly agreed that five or six is okay. Um, So huge, huge hit. We have a 20 month old female GSP and an eight month old um, future hubby for her. And we hopefully will find out in two or three weeks if the third pup will be coming home to the farm here in Virginia this October. Um, Just really getting big into field trialing, um, because yet again another hobby, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that that definitely has been a huge hit because I just I love having my own dogs and just can throw a dog in the in the box and jump in the truck and go. I mean that's just Mostly. that to me is absolute heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. But I would say my miss. Is the flip side of that raising the game birds for the dog training <laughs> oh. I have not had we we've just been struggling with um, chucker and I guess they don't like our Virginia heat and humidity and we found out why most people raise them in elevated pens like we have the quail, but of course we don't do anything little, so ordered a hundred chucker babies and mm-hmm we didn't have elevated runs big enough for them. We just had them big enough for, you know, 30 or 40 quail per run. So
0: hmm.
1: huge miss on the chucker. This will probably be our, our first and last go round with those guys. I'm gonna back it down just to quail. Yeah. <laughs>
2: They are like the sheep of the bird world, just kind of looking for a way to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like,
1: stop dying. There's like one or two every morning. We, we walked out yesterday and there was, there was not a body to be found. And Mike and I started to do the happy dance. Like, I can't believe it. We made it 24 hours without a death.
0: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate how, um, how, you, how you just dive right in.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's upsides and downsides. I mean, we don't have kids. The, you know, the animals on the farm, the dogs, all that stuff. That, you know, That's I don't know how any, any of your listeners out there that, have kids and do everything they do, like where in the world I would never find the time. Right. I mean, life would definitely look a lot different. So we we are fortunate that we're able to walk the path that we do. Um, but man. And the same flip side, I think I'd also love to have a little me, you know, Mm -hmm. wandering out in the woods. That would be awesome.
2: Or banging on your door while you're recording a podcast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Hand in hand. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, Ashley, I think my biggest hit lately is the Tennessee advocacy training that we wrapped up yesterday. Um, Gosh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. We did. It was a... Um, I guess four evenings, one field day, um, where we collaborated with the Tennessee Wildlife Federation to do an advocacy training for um, a handful of of sportswomen in the area. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I always enjoy um, teaching and collaborating with amazing women. So that was fun. Um, But I thought it went really well. And I'm excited to Uh, to do it again. And you, I'm just going to ask you because you have these dates on the top of your head, probably a little bit more than I did. Can you plug the national training?
2: Yeah, it's going to be July 14th. And then the individual in-person field day is July 16th. And then July 19th is the final virtual session. It's from 6 to 8 p.m. Central.
0: And so that's available. So this this one that we just wrapped up was specifically for um, women in Tennessee, but this one is national. So you can sign up for it no matter where you are. And we have two virtual sessions um, and then a weekend where we've got kind of a self-guided conservation scavenger hunt that you can participate in and then bring your experience back to the whole group. So we'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, sign up for that because it's going to be a good time.
2: Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And just to reiterate what Marcia said, this the course that we did in Tennessee. I, I always wonder with this stuff, like, oh my gosh, government is boring. Is anybody actually, you know, <laughs> going to be interested in this? And to see the women that showed up and their passion and commitment and just, I don't know, it's inspiring for me to see. I learned stuff, you know, as part of this course, and I feel like the national version is just gonna, it's going to be incredible. So if you're at all interested, please sign up.
0: Awesome. Uh, Kate, thanks again for joining us. It was great to talk with you. I appreciate your time and your expertise.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marsha. Thank you, Ashley.
2: Thanks, Kate. It was great to meet you.
1: You too.
0: For our listeners, thanks for joining us this week on
1: the Artemis podcast. Uh, We hope you're having
0: a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside.